You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie, if you want, for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag, and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. You're going to go to checkout, and you're going to type in DarkPod. That's D-A-R-K. P-O-D at checkout, and you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store, at 50% off, and then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Content Warning The Language content and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. You're listening to Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories with your host, disability awareness consultant, Drew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you for coming on to this new episode of Disability After Dark and clicking on the episode with me, Daddy Drew, the latest episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Thank you so much for being here. Get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and let's get the show started, everybody. 
Now, as this show has gone on over the years, you know my job has been to shine a bright light on stories about... First, it was to shine a bright light on sex and disability, and as the show has evolved over the last four years, it's been a... Wow, four years. Wow, already... Wow, it's just crazy that we're, we're literally at almost four and a half years. That's so much time. But anyway, that just kind of floored me for a minute. But my job over these four years has been to shine a bright light on disability stories and to share your story and to talk about things around disability that we don't often hear about. And when this episode today came on my desk, I was absolutely floored, appalled, and sickened. And I had to share this story with you. I had to get the word out. The minute I read what was happening, the minute I found out what was happening, I wanted to scream and cry, and I was so angry doing this one and researching this one and talking to my guests about what was happening to them that I moved episodes that I had had planned for weeks and weeks, and I put said to, to my guests today that I'm putting this one first, I'm putting this one out right away, because people need to hear this. People need to hear what's going on. So, let me tell you all about it. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting on Facebook, just looking around, bumbling around, doing what I do, looking for story ideas, looking at disability accounts that I love and that I follow, and my friend April Hubbard, out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, did a post about the dismal, the dismal reality of accessible and affordable community housing and disability housing in Halifax. And I kind of know that story because I live in downtown Toronto. And for me to get this apartment, it took five and a half years on a wait list to get this spot. And before that, it took me almost a decade to get a spot in my previous apartment. So I know how how awful the disability housing is across Canada. But what I didn't know is that because there is such a limit to disability housing and there are all these issues with disability housing in Halifax, there are people in Halifax that are living in institutions. There are people in Halifax that are living in locked psych wards because the government of Nova Scotia, the province of Nova Scotia, will not find them places to live. Will they, they think that it is cheaper for them to live in an institution than it is to live in a home. And if the government was to let them live in a home, they would just have pizza parties and be and and not be responsible. And it would just this is and there has so let me give you some more context. There's a, a court case right now in Nova Scotia to try to get three people living in a psych ward in Halifax accessible affordable housing and I couldn't believe it and then I talked to my friend April some more and said what the fuck is happening and she said yeah it almost happened to me she was almost put in an institution after being hospitalized and when she went to go home they told her she couldn't leave she would have to go to an institution or they wouldn't let her leave terrifying I also spoke with Vicky Levac, who is 30 years old 
and has been living in a senior's home, effectively an institution, since she was 21 years old. And she talks to us about her experience living on an institution's time and what that's like and how traumatic it is for her because she, you know, she wants to live in a, in a proper home with roommates and have that kind of life experience. And, you know, she also, trigger warning, she also talks a little bit about the times she's been choked slapped and almost sexually assaulted in this institution. We also speak with with April's partner, Andrew Jansen, about his experience being um, looking for housing and dealing with the same feelings that Vicky and April have been feeling of being trapped in a system that doesn't care about them. And this, the way they talk about their experiences in a system, just looking for the basic tenant of a home made me, the whole interview, you can hear me go, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening, because I believed that this whole idea of institutionalization was something we didn't have anymore in the world or in Canada, but what I very quickly learned from listening to these three stories today is that we do have it, and nobody cares. No one cares this is happening. They would rather keep somebody in a locked psych ward or keep somebody at 30 years old in a senior's institution because it's cheaper and it's easier for them. So I wanted to share the story of April, Vicky, and Andrew today. And I hope that as you listen to it, you think of, if you are non-disabled, you think of ways you can help. You think of writing to your governments. You think of writing to your state people or your provincial government or your or the federal government of Canada and saying, what the fuck is happening here? People should not be in institutions anymore. This is not how we are supposed to treat disabled people. And even doing this intro, I'm in tears because I can't believe we're here. I cannot believe some of the stories that I heard in this interview today. I think it is so, so important for this to come to light. And I thank so much April, Vicky, and Andrew for being so vulnerable and so honest with me to share these stories and I am proud although appalled that it's even happening I, it is an absolute necessary necessity that this story gets gets a big bright fucking light shone on it so here's my interview with April Vicky and Andrew about the institutionalization of disabled people happening in Halifax right here on Disability After Dark Hello, everybody. I am here today with my friends April Hubbard, Vicky Lebec, and Andrew Jansen to talk about a really important issue, as you heard in the intro, um, disability housing everywhere is is really horrible. But there's a case out of Nova Scotia, Canada that fell across my desk that I'm really concerned about, and I invited my friends from Nova Scotia to tell me a little bit about the issue because... It's so, so important. So I want to introduce you to my friends, April, Vicky, and Andrew. And I'll start with Vicky. I'd like, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Say hello and tell me how your disabilities impact your day today. Okay, well, hi, my name is Vicky. I'm 30 years old. I live in Halifax. Um, and right now, because the government doesn't have any sort of program to meet my unique care needs, um, I'm forced to live in an institution which sucks a lot, 
And trust me, if I had anywhere else to go, I would go there. Um, but literally, this is the only place that they'll be able to meet my needs. Unless I lived with my folks until they died. And then I have to move here anyway. So, I'm really kind of stuck. Yeah. And, and so, due and to this the, lack of care, sorry, due to this lack of care, it really affects my life because I'm now on the institution schedule instead of my own. Wow. And, you know, thank you thank you so much for bringing that, for, for going right out of the gate there, just starting right, like, thank you so much, because it's, it is something that I think non-disabled people and able-bodied people don't think about. They think that we are supported by the government. They think that we have all of the rights and, and, and things that they have, and they don't give us a second thought. And when I, you know, to be honest, when I got this across my desk, I was reading Facebook one day, and I saw April's Facebook post about the people being institutionalized who are disabled and who could be living in supported housing and could be living in care homes, but instead were being put in institutions, my jaw hit the floor. And I, you, you would think being disabled, I would be like, oh, yeah, that's not surprising. But I literally was like, what the hell is happening in Canada right now? Yeah, I, Nova Scotia is way behind the rest of the provinces. That breaks my heart a bit. And I, so I contacted April right away, and I was like, what? I need to talk to you. Can we please talk about this? Please, God. So I'm so happy we're sitting here today. Um, and, Vicky, just before we move on to April, I wanted to ask you, what are your disabilities? Um, I have a nonverbal learning disorder, uh, depression, moderate, moderate anxiety, and a cerebral palsy, spastic quadriplegia. Hey, me too. Special quadriplegia. Hey, what up? What up? Um, and so do these, just because, you know, you mentioned right off the top you're in an institution, do these disabilities at all affect your ability to direct your care? No, because I'm very vocal, and if something is wrong, I will yell at them until they make it right. And, you know, we just saw before you hit record, you're in your room, and your iPad was the wrong way and you wanted them to to switch the iPad for you and you left your room to go down the hall I watched you do it you left your room to go down the hall and they chastised you well that's because I had a migraine yesterday and they think it's COVID it's a migraine um, it's, it's a migraine but I mean the larger issue is you left your room for five seconds and they yelled at you and you're a 30 year old person well they didn't yell but yeah I was chastised wait yeah, so I want to get in. I want to get more into your story in a second, but I'd like to move on to April, and I want to say hi, April. How are you? Hi, Drew. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to 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 see you again. We were we hung out two years ago when I was a speaker at Halifax Pride. Um, so happy to be sitting down with you again, and so happy that you not happy, but I'm very pleased that this story is on my desk. Um, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Certainly. Um, my name is April Hubbard. I'm a uh, light-skinned Caucasian woman with short brown hair, wearing glasses, a green shirt, and I am a wheelchair user. Uh, I have several diagnoses, uh, spina bifida, a tethered spinal cord due to two lipomas, um, and chronic pain condition, which basically means I have tumors that are killing off all the nerves in my spine. Cool. Um, it's yeah. like, Yeah. So I do have still uh, some mobility right now, but um, it depends on the day, and some days I can't move around at all. Other days I'm very mobile. Um, 
But yeah, I have been able to become an artist in Halifax. Uh, I started as an actor, um, been doing more circus and movement work for the last few years. Uh, I run the Halifax Fringe. I've started a disability storytelling event here in Halifax. So uh, I call myself an artist and disability advocate here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. That's amazing. I didn't know you did all those things. Uh, I just knew you were a cool activist, but now I'm like, why Why can't we be best friends, and how do we like work together? That's we're not all, already true. I mean, we are. I mean, well, of course we are, but I, I want to be more friends because it's just so cool what you do. Um, and so well, I'll, I'll touch base with you again in a second about kind of why we're here today, but I, I would now like to introduce the audience to Andrew Jansen. Hello. Hi. Hi. Did you want to just introduce yourself to the audience, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and your, how your disabilities impact your day today? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm Andrew Jansen. I am, uh, I, I think I'm 33. I always kind of forget specifically how old I am. Um, I, I live in Halifax. I, I didn't grow up here, though, so I, I have, have community, but not a kind of family base. Um, I am, I identify as a nerd, uh, (laughs) and also do a lot of work in the accessibility world. Um, some of it is, you know, just on my own time and some of it's on committees and through, I work for the Tetra Society, which makes custom assistive devices for people. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And like, (laughs) uh, yeah, the last, my, my, the last while has been a challenge just figuring out basic care and having support workers to help me do my basic life. Um, but housing has been a struggle for a very long time. And just as my, the last couple of days have just been a lot of stress in that world too. <laughs> like, yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's just been, it's always on my mind. It's always the thing that impacts my day. Like just even getting up to, like I can't get to my own bathroom in my house without, you know, using a walker that I can't always use. And that was my morning of trying to figure that out. To just like so. get up and pee. Yeah. <laughs> Fun. Uh, yeah. I know that game. I know that game very well. I'm like, oh, I need somebody to do this. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do, you know, not at all the same thing. My Last night, my phone fell out of my bed and I couldn't, my Siri wouldn't work and my Google wouldn't work Ooh. and I couldn't, couldn't get a hold of a person to do what I needed to do, and so I somehow <laughs> somehow my phone managed to call my attendants. Of course, they weren't there because it was 6.30 in the morning, so nobody was there to answer the phone. So I understand the fear of, like, living – well, I live in supported housing, and I, ha- I have the, the privilege of being in the, that space. I understand the fear of, like, while they're there, I'm still completely by myself. And I'm still, if something happens to me, I'm reliant on them first before I call 911 and before I do any, like, you know, any emergency stuff I would have to, I'm reliant on them. And if they're not there, you feel so alone. So I totally get that feeling. Yeah. Um, um, maybe just I'll mention my my disability, I have a condition, a connective tissue disorder um, called Ehlers-Danlos, and that's the, the thing that impacts most of my 
my ability. I use a power wheelchair, but I also I have a lot of splints and things on all my joints that dislocate Ooh, on I their like own. That. So I have these like I actually splint these fancy rings that I wear on my fingers. They're oh, nice! All, That's cool. You made it like properly. artsy and not so medical. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. And there's things like that that have been pretty nice to like. Oh, I feel like less of a you know. It's just a just fancy rings. It's I feel yeah, like, it's you know. fancy cool rings, and you know I like that. That's really cool. Um, and you're like the millionth person I've talked to on this on the show with Ehlers Danlos syndrome. So. And I've done. I did a whole episode on just what it is because I wanted to learn. So yeah. I know a lot about it, and so does the audience. And thank you for for sharing that. Yay! Um, but I want to move to April because I want I want to talk about a little bit about why we're here today and kind of kind of the import. And each of you have mentioned the importance of housing just in your intro. And I will do a whole intro that the audience will hear about about housing and kind of the importance of disability housing and how fleeting it is. But I wanted I wanted April to share with us kind of what's happening in Halifax with respect to that. Yeah, so the housing situation in Halifax is really, really poor right now in general for anybody who's able-bodied, but it is dismal for people with disabilities right now. Uh, there's really no accessible housing that's available at all. Um, the little bit that is is so overpriced and in condos that aren't located in good areas and just would not work for the average person with a disability. Um, so it's a really bad situation. This particular um, court case that has been in the media here in Nova Scotia recently actually started in 2014 when a group of individuals from Emerald Hall, uh, which is a uh, locked psych ward, uh, in the Nova Scotia hospital, uh, they had been living there for years. Um, one person up to 16 years had been locked in the psych ward um, just because they had a disability and there was nowhere else to put them. Uh, our government here in Nova Scotia in 1995 uh, put a moratorium on creating new small options homes, basically just to save money. And for years, there were no new homes created, and nobody really paid attention to this, so the list just kept growing and growing and growing. And it's gotten to the point now where there's 1,600 people with disabilities waiting for a place to go that there is just nowhere to put them. Um, the programs that do exist, there's no way that you can piece them all together, find an apartment at the same time as you can find uh, income supplement or rent supplement. Uh, so we're all just waiting here trying to find housing. Uh, everybody I know who lives in Halifax with a disability is continuously looking for housing because we've all found these places that don't really work for us, that aren't accessible. Um, but we have to make do because the only other option is to go into the system and be put in a senior's home or even worse, they may put you in a locked psych ward just because it's a bed and there's nowhere else for you to go. I'm literally stunned into silence by what you just said. I, I mean, I knew what you were gonna say. I knew the story, but my, you can see my face. I'm like, what the, like what? Oh my god, that. I mean, and we do. Sorry, Vicky, go ahead. It's um Charles Dickensian shit. Yeah, like what? It's this is 2020. This is the how. Like who? Who who is saying this is all right? Like this is it, our government. Yeah, they they are saying it's okay. Like I can't. 
I, by not saying it's wrong, they are saying it's okay. It's and, and complicit in, by admission. Some of the transcripts that I read about the court cases said that, you know, they, they're, they're merely putting you there because it's cheaper. It's cheaper for them to do that than to hire supportive housing staff to build proper mm-hmm. units for you to live in. That would be mm-hmm. a home. Like, Vicky, I know I can see that you have made a nice little home for yourself in the room you're in. But I try. But tell us a little bit more about your current living situation. Well, I live in a young adult ward in a nursing home. But young adult in Nova Scotia means anybody 18 to 64. Wow. So that's according to our health department. So um, young adult is very, very loose. Um, I moved in. Yeah to the adult ward upstairs. I'm downstairs now. Moved to the adult ward upstairs, um, but it was mixed. So there were young adults on one end and seniors on the other end. And um, it was very unsafe because a lot of those individuals had dementia and other mental health issues. So I've been choked. I've been punched. I've been scratched. And I was almost sexually assaulted. So, after that, um, I went, they said, we can't move you. I said, I don't feel safe. They said, we can't move you. So, my dad contacted the CBC. And uh, the day after I went out CBC, they could move me to my own room. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I'm literally, I, you know, I'm a podcast host and I know how to do this, but I'm literally at a loss for words right now because I cannot believe what I'm hearing. I mean, sadly, I can believe it and sadly it's happening. So like, but I am absolutely full. And so when, and April kind of gave me a little bit of background on you when we first started talking, Vicky, when did you, when did you make the decision to move into this home? To this I was 21 when I moved in. Holy mahala. You're 20, and you're 30 now. 30 now, but I was 21 when I moved in. So you've been living in a senior's home for nine years. Yeah, although I am on a young adult unit now. But like I said, young adult means anybody 18 to 64, so. (laughs) I cannot even imagine. It's gross. It's gross. I'm literally floored that, that the... The government of Nova Scotia would allow for you and have no problem with you moving into a, a senior's home at 21 years old. When I was 21, I was going to bars every every week. I was in college. I was making friends. I was making mistakes. I was being ridiculously inappropriate in my life as a young person. How, I think that's called being a young person. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But how did like how did that? How did moving into a senior's home affect your, like, growing up experience as a 20-year-old? mine was very different, obviously. Um, And it wasn't just because I lived here. It was because our transportation system for the disabled here is crap. It really is. Like, you got to book a week ahead if you want to go anywhere. Yeah, we can do that in in Toronto, too. So, like, well, that's gross. So I can't just get up and go. And even then... The bus only runs until midnight, so it's like Cinderella. I have to go home before midnight, or I don't have a ride home. Ugh. Which, when you're young, 
That's when the good party started. Yeah, the good party started at midnight. They were one o'clock. Not, you know, it's just, and you know, this, this, that, the, the saddest part about that for you that I'm hearing about is that you going home wouldn't be going home to your cool, supported housing apartment. It's going home to a nursing home where, yeah, as you yeah, just, it's, it's disgusting. Yeah. Like, I, sometimes the bus drivers, when they drive me home, they park. Not all of them, the two of them just go, I'm sorry. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it, I'm literally, this whole podcast is going to be me going, I don't know what to say because I feel, I have so many feelings about this, but thank you, Vicky, for telling a little bit more of your story. Well, I'm going to come back to you in a minute with other questions that I have, but April, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey dealing with this trash fire of a system you all seem to be stuck in. Yeah, so I had uh, a different journey. Um, I only became sick at 17, and it was a gradual process because I have a degenerative condition. So I was able to kind of fake it and hide it from the system for a long time and appear as though I was a lot more able than I was. Um, so I was able to escape the system for a very long time and just be able to seem normative and and not have anybody question that I could live on my own uh, until I got sick and went into the hospital in 2006. Um, and I had just had a problem with my medication, as many of us do uh, with disabilities, and ended up in hospital. Um, I was there for three months. Uh, I almost died as a result. Um, and then really I glad you didn't. Get- Really glad you're here. Very good. (laughs) Yeah. And then started to get better. And instead of anybody talking about discharge (laughs) to the community and back to my home uh, and my apartment that I had set up with my partner at the time, uh, they were telling me, no, you're not going to be allowed to go back there. The only way we will discharge you from hospital is if you go into a senior's home. I would not be able to choose my own senior's home. I would not be able to choose which community I was in. I'd just be put on a list, and when a spot became available, I would be sent anywhere in the province to be put in a bed somewhere away from my family, away from everything I knew. And I would have no way of getting out of the system once I was in it. So, yeah, it's very scary, and it's a phenomenon in Nova Scotia that we in the disability will kind of protect ourselves, that... When one of us gets sick, we will step up and try to take care of each other so we don't have to go into hospital. We'll tell our friends, if you don't have to go there, don't go to the ER because you may get put into an institution after the fact. We know that once you go into the system, there's no getting out. Um, this is this the most is, terrifying thing yeah, I have heard. This is, this is absolutely... Yeah, so... <laughs> I was very lucky that because I still looked very normative and could walk some of the time, I was able to fake it for a long time and put my body at a lot of risk um, to not let them see my needs for a few weeks um, so that I could look strong enough that they eventually, with my strong support system behind me and fighting and advocating for me, they did agree to allow me to go back home to my own apartment. But it was only because of luck and only because my needs at the time could be hidden that I was able to go back to my community and keep a job and keep doing the volunteer things that I did 
rather than having my entire life taken away and just being locked in in a senior's home wherever they had place for me at the time. Um, yeah, and at that time I would have been in my mid twenties. So yeah, it's they're you taking your, away you your formative years. You're, they're taking away your life. You're, yeah, they're taking away people's right to choose people's life. Um, I've since then become a disability advocate. I didn't consider myself a disability advocate then. Um, but after seeing all this, you you have to fight. And they've created that, but also they almost took away my chance to do that and to advocate for myself and to really build a life for myself. Um, just because somebody who had never met me decided that, well, she has a disability she needs to go into the system, and the only system we have created in Nova Scotia is institutionalization, and that's the go-to that they have. There's just no other option in their mind. I am yeah. li- I'm literally speechless right now because I don't. I've, I've had, I'm a nurse. This was a couple of weeks ago. But I had a nurse. Um, t- I was talking about like I hate being here. I'm going to go, and it's really awful. And I got a lawyer, and I'm gonna get out. Because I did get a lawyer, and she is turning it out. Um, and uh, she said, basically, you know, you should be grateful you're not living on the street. Ah, like, I just, it makes me so angry when I'm hearing I can't. Be grateful you're not living under a bridge. That's what she said. Like... Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing out of out of abject horror what I'm hearing. I yeah, 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 I I get it. Like it's just it's I am so sorry that all of you have been through this. Andrew, I'd love to hear your account of, of your experience in this really fucked up system that everything's yeah. stuck in. Yeah. I mean, like I just this is it's one of the big things is just how mentally exhausting this is. Mm-hmm. Just to have this be constant in life of trying to navigate this impossible issue, situation, whatever you want to call it. Like, I, I, I haven't needed an accessible apartment for uh, all of my life. Um, so it's been like a, you know, since I forget what year it was, but it, it's kind of like the last five or so years for me that this has been a necessity. Um but it's impossible. Like I've, what I've experienced is just that there are so many gaps and systems that just don't work together that it's impossible to piece things together in a way that's functional. Like I've been looking for accessible housing so that I can find a way to live in community. Part of it is trying to balance that and also getting like personal support workers yeah. and home care set up and that that's been basically impossible to to get through the system and at this point um yeah like I've had to take on a lot of uh (laughs) a lot of work creating my own business essentially and like I spend most of my time these days doing the unpaid work of running my own like support system and care when that's something that like should you know there there are there are supposed to be ways that you can access that but it's again, it's all on the system's time. Um, I would go to bed at 6 p.m. Um, they might, you know, might, it's like they would just not even show up at points. So like yeah. 
living in community, even just generally, is a struggle here because the services are just so, like, crappy. They can't rely on them. You can't. You just can't. You can't. Ex- no, but- you can't. It's, and so, like, accessible, you know, if, when I think about my apartment here, like, it took me took me a lot to even find the place that I have, that I can even just get into the building. And I can only get into the building sometimes here. Um, like my apartment, I it the, there's stairs at the front of the building. It exits on the ground level at the back. There's a giant driveway that used to be just entirely gravel that would turn to mud pits whenever it rained. Yep. And it, it's not plowed. Like it turns to sheet of ice with any rain or snow. I've gotten stuck like... Uh, I could barely even get through the the doorway. Like it's just, it it works some days, and a lot of time it doesn't. And I can't actually really get in and out independently, so I'm just trapped most of the time. I can't get to my own bathroom. I can't get to the other room in the apartment. Um, like it's just my situation. And this is this apartment that I have. It it to even find it to get what I have. I have a dream of an apartment here. Like, what I have, I can get in sometimes. Amazing. This is incredible, right? This is like, I talked to anyone else in Halifax about looking for accessible housing, and what I have is one of the best that there is. And I have a human rights case that's been active for three years now without being resolved. It's just sitting there on a desk. They've told me that there's an indefinite wait at this point to have anything addressed. Um, but yeah, that is just, you know, because the landlord has refused to make any of the basic changes to make it more accessible to me. Um, yeah, so like what I have is amazing. It also doesn't work and it's going to not work for me at some point. And so I constantly look for another place. I'm constantly looking and just there's absolutely nothing out there. And and what there is is, is not affordable. And like, you know, when this place when I can't just make it work anymore, the choices that I have are none. Um, like that, it terrifies me. Like I, you know, I like the last in the last couple of days, even because accessible housing, I've been trying to navigate some specific things, and I, you know, I'm just like crying and just it just gets really overwhelming just thinking about you know like if I can't figure out something. Then, like, where am I gonna be? Where am I gonna? Yeah, and like your options, as we, as as Vicky's told us, and as April told us, your options are an institution or a home, or yeah. the street. Which, yeah, I, like I can't even believe that I can't even believe the words I just said. Like, and I'm even the it. shelters aren't accessible. You can't yeah, get into the shelter. You can't, like you're literally wow. on the street because there's nowhere you can even get into where there's a roof over your head. How is yeah, it? Yeah, because they're all stairs. Wow. You know, in Ontario, we there there's years and years of wait lists. Years and years. Because I lived in a in a up north in Richmond Hill, which is like north of Toronto, and I wanted to move to Toronto for years and years. And I was on a wait list for four years to move to Toronto, which now seems like a dream, given what you're telling me. Um and it, but I moved into a place with supported house, supported attendant care attached to the unit. So if I called downstairs right now and I said I need somebody, 
they would be here in 10 minutes, which, you know, can be frustrating at times because you want, like, you need them sometimes faster. And sometimes I get frustrated with the care I have because of the policies they put in place. But holy shit, I'm going to be so much more grateful now that I have what I have because, oh my goodness, like... You're living the dream, bro. I honestly thought that Mm -hmm. that attending care like that was standard across the provinces. No, no. Yeah. Wow. Wow. We live in two different countries. That... And I mean, there have been court cases about this for years. I I read in doing research for this. There have been court cases and appeals and things like that. April, can you do you know any more about that? Yeah. Um. So in 2018, uh, this case officially was tried in front of the Human Rights Tribunal. It took the four years before it could get to a courtroom. Um. And after a few months of being tried, uh. The three complainants that went forward, which um, I definitely want to say their names because I think it's really important to recognize yes. the humanity of these people. So Sheila Livingston, who actually died in 2016 waiting for this to go to court, never got to see it happening. Uh, Beth McLean and Joey Delaney, um, those three complainants actually won. Uh, it was decided that they were discrim- discriminated against by the province of Nova Scotia. But uh, the judge decided uh, that this was not systemic discrimination, that because every person in Nova Scotia is not discriminated against and not every person in Nova Scotia has trouble finding housing, that it means it's not systemic discrimination. Um, So these three individuals were awarded a very small amount of money. Um, Only $100,000 or something? Yeah, uh, two of them got $100,000. In the case of Sheila, said she had passed two of her relatives got $10,000 each. Um, And even in that ruling, it was very discriminatory. Uh, The judge stated that because they were disabled and it would not improve their quality of life to give them a large sum of money, he was only going to give them a little small, small sum of money because they would only have pizza parties and movies. And smokes. Yeah, and that is actually in the Supreme Court ruling that that is all that these people will spend their money on. So it was just hit after hit after hit that discriminated against yeah. us. So in the end, after all of this, the ruling was each individual person who's being discriminated against in Nova Scotia should go and file their own human rights complaint, wait years. Um, the province of Nova Scotia sees four to five human rights complaints each year in our court system. So even if five of us filed tomorrow, um, it would be years before we'd be seen and yeah. we'd only be seen within a year. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, really scary system right now. There's really nothing we can do. Um, there have been three national organizations that have since joined this uh court case, and it is being appealed in front of the Human Rights Tribunal. Uh, It was argued just last month, and that's why it's kind of back in the public opinion right now, and people are talking about it again. Um, So we're just waiting to hear what is going to be said this time, but the argument is that this is systemic uh, discrimination, and this is something that we all, as people in Nova Scotia, are facing 
and are afraid of, and we are all at risk of being thrown into institutions at any time. And there needs to be a better system out there. There are so many of us here that are trying to come up with our own options and our own fixes. Just to survive. Just to survive. Not even because... Yeah. At one point a couple of years ago, uh, there was a group of us in the community that just came together and said, okay, we will find money to buy our own apartment. We will find ways to get to pool our care needs um, and make our own small options home. We found a developer that would do this for us and is still holding the apartment two years later, and the government will not approve it for us. That would be four people off the list right now, tomorrow, if they would let us do this. But right now, if we do it tomorrow, we all lose our care needs because as soon as we live with somebody, they're expected to take care of us. It doesn't matter if it's somebody else that has greater care needs than us and can't care for us. So we're trying to find these solutions, and there's still the roadblocks there that keep us from being able to move forward and have a safe place to live. I'm listening to this story, and, you know, I'm a seasoned podcaster. I've listened to people tell me hard things. I'm literally trying not to cry. I'm so like, what? Me too. Me too. Don't worry about it. Like, it, I can't. It makes me so angry. That they've people, stolen our humanity. That's what they've done. 100% they have. And it just, you know, I am so fucking lucky to be in the spot that I'm in because yeah. I can't. Yeah. First of all, a care collective with the four of you would be awesome. Can we do that? <laughs> like, can well, Vicky and I, I, I Vicky and I, I were supposed to be two of those individuals in that. Yeah, me and April were supposed to be roomies. Yeah. So we're waiting on it. I mean, listen, maybe. <laughs> listen, I know there are philanthropists out there. I know there are people who are listening to my podcast who have money and who know organizations that have money. And you all say you want to do something cool for the community and you want to make disability better, this is how you fix it. But it's not the money right now. We have the money to have that apartment created tomorrow. It's If we live together, we all lose our care. Yeah. And, and, like, that's, like, this the the policies and the way that these programs work and the, the way that they've set up the system means that, like, you know, it, yeah, as soon as you try and do something like that, you lose something else. You either lose, like, coverage for, like, you know, medications or, you know, this other thing. Or it's just because of the way that they've done that, there's just not even a choice. You know, it's not even like, oh, if we just if we just move forward, we'll figure out a way to make the finances work. No, it's just that there's not even an option. Like, they won't even allow it, you know? Even if you live together as disabled people, you're still... Yeah. Yes, if Vicky, Andrew, and I all live together tomorrow, we are supposed to take care of each other. I would have to care for Andrew and Vicky. They would have to care for me. And we do, we'd probably still get some home care, but our hours would be drastic yeah. at overnight. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. We'd be going to bed three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. What are you, what is your, what are your, what is, what is the, the disability benefit system like over there? It's crap. <laughs> it's crap. Yeah, I'm like, is there one? <laughs> Does it count as one? I don't know. Oh wow! They basically make you beg like a dog for every dollar. So what? It like in Ontario, 
through Ontario Disability Support Program, you can get up to a single person can get up to twelve hundred a month <laughs> before rent. What is what is the equivalent oh. in Nova Um, well, I. I don't know the exact disability amount that you can get because I still don't qualify as a person with a disability under the province of Nova Scotia. Hold on. Wait a minute. And I also don't qualify for any of the programs. Why? Yeah. They don't have to give us a reason why is the answer I received. Oh, my God. And mine is, like, I I have a small amount of, like, a little bit of savings that disqualifies me from things. But if I if I use that, then... Like, then I'm just, that's where I'm at for the rest of my life. That's done. I'm stuck, you know, so. Yeah. So I, um, I've been working the last year or so, but this would be going back about a year and a half, um, not as a person with a disability, just on income assistance. Uh, I received about $700 a month for all of my that covers and my like rent. that includes like rent and all of like so rent is so yeah. rent is for you are you are you on a rent subsidy uh, I no I do not qualify for a rent subsidy um, I am living with another wheelchair user and trying to make do that way yeah we have a two bedroom apartment in the uh, building in Nova Scotia that is known for being the worst for wheelchair users in all of Nova Scotia. Um, we're on the 10th floor, so if the elevators go out, we're just stuck and can't leave our apartment. Um, yeah. So after you pay rent, how much mm-hmm. do you have left? Um, on a good month, I will have about $150 left, but my medications cost more than that. So I basically am dependent on my parents. So you're in the, you're in the red every month. You don't have Yeah, they're mine. Mm-hmm. The only reason I don't live in abject poverty is because my dad had a good job, and is able to support me. And that's most adults with disabilities in Nova Scotia. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of adults with disabilities across yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that too. But, I mean, just just the the concentrated level of, like, ridiculousness with every system is broken, every system is piecemeal. Like, how does all of, how does all of this make each of you feel as a disabled person? Like they don't think I'm human. I'm a thing I'm a thing they have to deal with, not a person. I'm a problem, not a person. Again, I'm speechless because oh, wow. Um in April, what about you? Yeah, for me it's I just feel like there's no way to escape it. I know that where I am now is the best it can ever get. Um, Yeah, just knowing that there's no way to get out of it, that these people fought for for years living in a locked psych ward, and people were noticing, and people were being whistleblowers, and still everybody was just like, that's the best we have. And I know I'm going to be there someday. And I know the people I love are going to be there someday. And knowing that there's nothing we can do about it to stop it. It's just really difficult to know that where I am now is the best it's ever going to get. And no matter how much we fight, the province still doesn't care. Yep, definitely. Definitely. This is the hardest podcast I've ever had to record in my whole life. 
because mm-hmm. I, when I met you in Halifax two years ago, I had no idea. I had no clue that it was like this. And had I known, I swear to God, had I known when I was there, that would have been a part of my speech and I would have been. (laughs) I think that's the problem too, is even here in Nova Scotia, a lot of people, when they hear this case, they're picturing people with severe disabilities that can't communicate at all, can't do anything on their own, and that's why they're in these institutions. But they don't realize it's the people that are out next to you in the grocery store that tomorrow could be locked in this institution. And people that that can live full lives, that have no reason to be in a hospital, that are being put in these situations. And that's what people don't realize is happening. Yeah, I, like I, like that. I like to say I'm disabled, not sick. I don't need a hospital. I'm disabled, not sick. But even if you were sick, you still deserve human rights. Like, yeah. yeah. Even yeah. if you, like, I'm disabled, yeah, and they sick. Don't, they don't view me as a human, see, so. Wow. Um, Andrew, you were saying? Oh, yeah. I'm just, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just feeling everything. It just, like, you know, I think, you know, Vicky, we're both on some of the government accessibility stuff, too, and just that it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what we're involved in or what, like, you know, what our lives are like. It just doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It's just these things are just the reality, and that's, I find, again, it's, like, one of the hardest things is just kind of that this is just the reality, and it doesn't seem like that it's shifting over time or that there's a lot of possibility or openness for things. It's just people hear about it and it's continually surprising. Like it's, it hasn't gotten to the point of, you know, that people, enough people know about it that there's actually things shifting or, you know, like it, it's just really discouraging. And to be like, you know, I, you can, Oh, this is what I was going to say, like talking about people just, that friend of yours or that person that you knew that just vanishes and you never see them again, you never hear from them. You're just like, oh, I wonder what happened to so-and-so. Like, that's that's the reality. It's like, it might just be one day and I never hear from Joe. And then I hear a few years later that, you know, is up in Sydney and Cape Breton and, you know, in home. And that's just, that's just the reality. There's nothing you can't you don't really have a say and there's not a lot that you can do. It's just like, okay, well, kind of try and connect online or something. But like, just that that's just, you know, and maybe they were, maybe they, they worked, you know, at, at some business that was really well known or maybe they were involved. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like it, any, it it could be anyone. It doesn't matter who you are really in that sense. It's a lot easier for some people to be, um, you know, like forgotten in some ways, and we do need to acknowledge that. But it also is just like it can happen. Anyone. It sounds but, like something out of a fucking Stephen King novel. Like this is it not. Is, it is. I live in a Stephen King novel. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like Vicky. I'd love to hear a little bit more from you. So you live in this seniors' home. What is? Yes. Can you outline for us like what is your day like? How does it? How well, does it go? Before COVID, because my father and I put up a thing. Um, I was pretty much you had to go wherever the hell I wanted. Yeah. Because they tried to enforce a lot, like, stuff on me, 
when I first moved in, and I was like, I don't know. Like, they tried to tell me what to do out of bed, and I'm like, I'm 21 years old, the entire reason I moved in here is so that I wouldn't have to be told, you know. I said, you're supposed to be 24 hours here, so if I want to go to bed for the goddamn morning, then do that. And I would hope that out of, like, spite, you made them put you to bed at 4 o'clock in the morning, because that's what I, I would have done. I, I stayed up till 2 once, just to piss them off. <laughs> Good for you. But, like, so, so like, what it? So, like, you told one to go to bed. You're So, like, if you needed to use the bathroom right now, what would the process uh, be like? I use a commode, and I have a catheter. So, okay. peeing isn't really a big deal for me. Totally I just need a bed. Yeah. I get it, totally. Um, um, and then but, they just empty But I mean, supplies. in terms of like you, if you wanted somebody to come to you right now and provide you support, what is that process like? Well, right now, normally when I'm not on isolation, I would just go out and be like, hey, I need some help. Just like I did when you told me to do it. Yeah. That is what I would normally do. And normally they just go, okay, honey, go down to your room. I'll be there in like five minutes. And I'm like, okay. That works pretty great, but like now for a week because I had a. Can I swear on this podcast? Yes, of course you can swear. Because away. I had a fucking migraine. <laughs> <laughs> you have COVID, so that they made me do the test and put the thing in my nose, which I was fine with. But even if it's negative, I still have to stay in here for a week. And so, like. What if you wanted to have an interpersonal, like, or, or a relationship with somebody, or have sex, or, like, what, how? I, I just tell them, straight up, I'm going to be fucking doing open the door. <laughs> so, you're my favorite person ever. That's amazing. Good for you. Um, what, so, what has been the emotional, we talked about this a second ago, but I want to hear more, because I think people need to, I need to underscore this for people listening. What is the emotional impact for you, Vicky, of living in a place like this? Uh, it's made my depression way worse. I've had to up my medications, um, for my depression. Um, and, um, some of those things that I take are not covered. Like, my progesterone for my hormone condition isn't covered. I take medical marijuana for sleep. That isn't covered. So that's all coming out of my father's pocket. And um, it- is there a concern, like, you've talked about how your dad told you a lot, and then your dad sounds like a, a godsend. Like, my dad and my stepmom are, like, the reason I'm not dead. So, yeah. are, are you concerned that as they get older and, you know, if they, when they pass away, what are you, what are, what are what's going to happen to you? Luckily, they, they've made a plan for that. I have a younger sister, and right now my dad is my power attorney, uh, because I also have a learning disorder. Yep. So, when my dad dies, um, my sister will be written in as my power attorney. I'm glad to hear that. But, I mean, I, I wish for all of you, like, I, I, I want to sit and do five more hours of this because I'm fucking outraged to hear this. It breaks my heart in ways I can't even articulate. Like, how... I am so upset. I have no, I have no more questions. It's like, what? <laughs> so, like, but okay. So, from each of you, starting with Andrew, what do you want to see happen? How do we fix this? How, what, what can we do? How do we? 
Like, I know it's fucked up, but if you had all the resources in the world, what do we do? Oh, I mean, I, I think that's the first thing is just to ask people with disabilities what we want and, yeah, what they need. and like, actually working with that. Like, you know, I, I, it would be amazing to be able to have places that are in Nova Scotia in our own communities that we could live, I could live with people who I, you know, can connect with, like in a little community where there's like people of different ages and different abilities and the grocery store's closed and I can get to the pharmacy, I can use my own bathroom. There's, you know, place for like workers so that we could all have support. Like that would be a dream come true of having an actual supported community like that. Um, and it's really, it, it's not that hard, you know, that's no. the end of the day. It's like it, all it would take is some actual agreements from, you know, the, the powers that be to actually move forward with plans that should have been done a decade ago. Um, like it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's really quite simple, but it would, that would be, that would be what would, that would make a huge difference. Like just in, in everyone's daily life you know yeah yeah and similar and to what i to what i asked vicky andrew like how do, how does all of this affect your mental health your 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 understanding of disability like how does how does it make you feel yeah i mean it it definitely makes me feel like that my life doesn't matter um yeah and that's that's like a that's hard to deal with it does. Yeah, and it's you know it's uh, it's been important to find more people to just yeah talk about these things and feel connected to other people with disabilities who understand the experience of like you know that that's that's really important for me. Um, but yeah, it does kind of weigh on you, it does weigh on me, and mm-hmm. it's. Like, when something works out, I'm always just like, what? How did that happen? That's incredible. That one little thing. Amazing. My day. And just trying to take those little moments and, you know, make them last in that sense of, like, yeah, when I can get out and spend a day with a friend of mine, even just, like, get into a place and use the bathroom. You know, like, yeah, just trying to do that. But it definitely... I wish that there was just one more thing that would be easier, and then that would make so much difference. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. in in we've we've heard a little bit about Vicky's care situation in your home right now, Andrew. Do you have care supports coming in to help you, or? Yeah, I do. And over the last year, this has been a huge thing for me to figure out. I've had um, home care through the system um, until very very recently, within the last month. Um, so it was all set up through an agency and I had very little choice in what was happening or when it was happening. And a lot of the time they just wouldn't show up. Um, so I would, you know, I was supposed to have support to get up in the morning and, you know, wash and everything like that. And in the evening and in the middle of the day too, but it just, you know, especially with COVID, but even before that, the agencies just, they were like, no, we just don't have enough people to fill your schedule. So you're just going to have to fill it with your backup. And that's the system here in Nova Scotia is that you're required to sign all these things at the beginning that say that if they can't provide the service, you will have a backup. You're required to always have 24-7, 
backup available. And you know, so if they can't do that. Falls on usually falls on parents, falls on family, and the yeah. trouble with that is, as we all know, as your family gets older, they may be not be able to do care, or they may not have been able to do care. To, yeah, I don't, and I don't have family out here, so a lot of it is falling on you know friends of mine, um, partners, and people who just are total strangers. Um, I have yes. a Facebook page where I talk about some of the struggles with home care over the last year, and so I you know have a lot of strangers who've reached out and have, have helped me, but that's not something that everybody has access to or you know even feels comfortable putting your details on the internet like that um yeah so more recently I've been able to get some like like being able to get people that I've hired myself but it does mean that I basically have to do all of the management and it's all volunteer and it's yeah you can't be like here's a hundred bucks like thanks thanks you can't be like here's and obviously if you had the money you would but you can't be like here's you know and that makes it harder to ask for care because you're asking them to do personal stuff, which is, like, super, it's super, good. yeah, and it's just really, it's so, it's so yeah. fucked up. Like, it's so fucked up. And what I don't like is where I live, I don't get a say in who does my care at all. Yeah. At all. And I can say, well, I could say I don't want males because I'm female, but if we're at all males stuff that night, that means I'm not going to bed. Yeah. Not yeah. that having no caregivers bothers me because it doesn't, but a lot of people it does. I mean, I have the male privilege of having everybody do my care, so like, that's not that fear is not something that I can appreciate. But I fully have heard from other people who are who are female identified or who have vaginas and like, hey, this doesn't make me feel comfortable. Can I have this kind of care? And the the system will say, no, sorry, deal with like deal with it. Yeah. Which is a whole other like I've been told that, body, it's fine. Like I've been told to just like shut up and let them do their job. You know, I've had people just say that to me. No, like you have workers. a you have a right to decide who touches and I, I I'm in the same boat. I have care work I have care here, but I have no say in who comes to see me. I have no say in like they're downstairs right now working and I all know them, I know them all. But if I said I wanted this person today for blah, I I could ask. I may not get it. Yeah. Um, and so, April, I just want to hear a little bit more from you, like how you kind of you kind of really outlined for us how it feels for you, kind of throughout this whole thing. But I'd love to hear more from you, like how does how, what do we do, and how does how does it make you feel? And like if you could talk to the to the government of Nova Scotia right now, and I'm gonna try to get this podcast like. I'm going to talk to my friend at the CBC radio. I'm like, listen, we did this. Can somebody play this on your radio for an hour? People didn't hear this. I'm going to try really hard. But if you could say something. Oh, I cursed. Well, so said like, I, budge. They can believe it out of the CBC. Uh, <laughs> but but um, if you could say something to the people and just tell us how you feel, what would you say? Yeah. Um, I want to be hopeful. All of my advocacy is kind of with the approach of trying to find the silver lining and not being the angry disabled person that nobody wants to listen to. Um, So really trying to be hopeful in this situation, I find it really, really difficult to have hope. Um, Part of that, maybe I have a personal connection. The lawyer that has actually been arguing against us for the last many years is somebody who's been in my home, somebody I know personally who has looked me in the eye. 
and continues to say that my life doesn't matter and that I don't have a right to be in society. So there's the extra sting of that, that mm-hmm. even yeah. people who know me personally don't think that I matter. Um, so it's hard to have hope in this situation. Um, for the last year, I've been a caregiver for a lot of people in my community because I happen to be one of the stronger ones right now. And in the disability community, that's what we have to do. We have to, when we're strong, we take care of each other. And that's how we all survive together. But especially during COVID and with all of this happening, it really takes a toll. And yeah, it's been difficult to keep going and keep having hope. So yeah, I'm gonna keep screaming and I'm gonna keep telling everybody and often that just ends in tears like is happening today. But um, yeah, it's hard to have hope in this case. My dream is that someday I'll be able to have an apartment where I can live with my partner, um, but I don't have hope that that'll happen in our lifetime. We're both in our 30s now in Nova Scotia. I don't think it's gonna happen in our lifetime. But that's my hope. And April, so where are you living now? You're living? Uh, I'm living in an apartment building in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, I've been in this apartment for three years. But, um, yeah, I've lived in Halifax for 17 years. And I've probably lived in, I think, 20 buildings now, just continuously having to move because things aren't accessible for me or They've found somebody who wants to pay more rent than I can, and I've had to drag my wheelchair upstairs to get into my own home so many times and just make situations work that don't work for me. Um, Yeah, and we've all had to do that because there's no other option. But, again, we all find that silver lining. I heard Vicky do it earlier that, well, at least there's a roof over my head. And, and we do it, too, in the disability community that, well, at least I'm not in an institution. At least it's not that bad. Um, and we, we deserve better than that. We shouldn't have to say that a roof over our head is good enough. We shouldn't have to do that. I can get in sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can get in sometimes. And I mean, I, I'm outing us, Andrew. We're, Andrew and I are partners. And I was I was about to do that, but I was like I I wanted I wanted I wanted I've decided that's okay, so I stopped myself. I was about to be like, oh, cool. I, like I know your partner, so I was like, I can't say that until they do. So I'm glad you did. Yeah, Andrew and I are partners, and we met. Well, we knew each other before, but we started dating after I had to move into his apartment for a week when he was stranded and couldn't get out. And they tore up my driveway. The only way to get in and out of the building without telling me, they just tore it up. And yeah. just was like, it'll be like that for a week. What? Yeah. yeah. So there's good While ways. I had a human rights complaint. <laughs> there's good ways to make love connections that way, but it's not the best way to go about it. No, that's <laughs> not how you want to meet your partner, but that's what happened. I mean, <laughs> didn't we just have a Christmas movie about a wheelchair user? Can there you we- go. Can that be your meet cute? Like, I'll, can we film that? Can we get? It will be the next uh, Hallmark movie. There you go. No, go back to No, go Hallmark. (laughs) True. Aim higher for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So, Um, yeah, I want to have hope, but then I read the court ruling and hear things 
that are said about us that, like, even after they've admitted that they were discriminating against these people, but we're going to use discrimination again in our judgment here, and we're going to continue to do it. Like, they they haven't learned. They don't want to do any better as a government. No. It's just people who disabilities who use the shit. Are they real people? I don't think so. You know, I've had people come up to me in the grocery store and say, if I were you, I'd kill myself. So, you know, I'm like, uh, thanks. Why did you tell me that? What good does that do? And they, they mean it as a compliment is the weird thing. I'm so brave that I'm surviving. And if they were me, they'd off themselves. If they think that's a compliment, it's not. And, I mean, we've all heard that in one way or another, and it's just so painful that somebody would feel the need to say that. And also, like, in this situation that you're in, like, just to bring it back to the housing, because I think that's really, really critical right now. Like, I just, I want everybody listening to this right now to... I don't know what to do. Like, to email the Nova Scotia government, even if you're in the States, even if you're somewhere across the world. This this is not only it's happening wrong. to the three people we're talking to today, it's happening to people all over the world. This kind of, this, really, this is discrimination on the highest order, but because it's ableism, nobody cares. If, if it was another... No, I don't want it. I'll eat myself that I have in my fridge. Is it already made up? Yeah. I'm just, it's in my fridge. Just take the meat off the bread, though, because the bread's slightly foggy by now. So you just want the meat? Yeah, meat and the veg that are on there. Cool, so... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay, had, it's okay. I need food. Eating, eating is essential. But, listen, I want to thank all of you for coming on today. Thank is, you. So you just want the meat and veg. And then cheese and stuff. Yeah. Just the one other quick thing I just wanted to say, if that's mm-hmm. okay, through Of course. Um, is when I was reading the uh, ruling, one of the things that really hurt me, and I was actually with Andrew when I was reading it, and we both kind of just sat there and cried for a minute, is that as all this was being adjudicated, Joey Delaney actually got out of the Nova Scotia hospital for a while, and because of all the public pressure, they transferred him to another uh it was a small options home a few kilometers away called Quest. And he was there for a period of time, about a year, I believe. Um, and then they transferred him back. And the reason was that this nonverbal man was making too much noise. And when they talked to the social workers and his healthcare team about it, it was determined that he was vocalizing because he had bowel discomfort. And that is the only reason he got sent back. And because that, he had poop. Yeah. And that he, got, he literally got sent back because he had to take a shit. Yeah. And that That's gross. scares me so much is that our government and our institutions are so broken that even when you get out, they send you back because you're making too much noise. Because your there's body There's literally hurts. no way to argue against it. Like, because there's no logic. There's, like... Yeah. So my, my challenge with that is I want everybody listening today to make as much noise as Joey Delaney was making and make sure that the government can't ignore all of us because he deserves better. We all deserve better. 100%. As um, humans. 
so sorry. Can I, can I do a little shout out to the premier? Because I have sure, yeah, say, sure, sure. Mr. Premier, we are not your special friends. You refer to people with disabilities as your special friends. We are not your special friends. Ew, you are Yes, you are not my friend, sir. You are my oppressor, and I want you to stop. I want you to respect people's dignity and autonomy. And until you do that, I will never consider you a friend, special or otherwise. Yeah, claps for that. Like what? <laughs> um. So. There's so much more that I could, could talk to you about, and I want to keep in touch with all of you because I am going to send this to to somebody to CDC to like I'm gonna blast it everywhere that I can think of to be like somebody gotta fix this because this is wrong, um, and take comfort in the knowledge that 5,000 people listen to this show a week, so hopefully one of some of them will help do stuff, and if anybody wants to. Get a hold of the three of you to talk more about this with you personally. How can they do that? Uh, I'm in. For April, you can reach out um, on Instagram. I'm Stronger on Wheels um, or April Hubbard uh, on Facebook. You can look me up through the Halifax Fringe or Disability X Halifax. And Andrew? Uh, I'm I'm on Facebook as Banjo Andrew Jansen. It's a carryover from a social justice youth camp, um, so I'm on there. Or Andrew Jansen at Outlook dot com is my email. And I mean, now that I don't have enough of it, um, my my email is Vicky underscore Levac L E V A C K and Vicky spelled with a Y V I C K Y at hotmail.com. Um, Whoa, hotmail? What is it, 1994? Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> why would I change it if it still works? Um, <laughs> and uh, I do have a website, but I don't start it very often, but there is victorialabac.com. Yep. So that's a thing. Um, or you can... Uh, what else? How can you get me... I do have a public Facebook page that is open to everybody, and that's just Vicky Go Back. All right, awesome. I'll make sure that all of these are in the show notes. Listen, you three, this was an amazing episode. Thank you for being so vulnerable and being so honest about the state you're in. I am from one disabled person to a bunch of others. I am so sorry this is happening to you. I'm so sorry this is the state we're in. It literally, in all honesty, makes me sick. To hear what I'm it hearing. kind of makes me sick too. It's fine. Um, I think that's a natural reaction. <laughs> like I'm gonna do my best to blast this everywhere. I'm gonna talk to all the media outlets, people that I know, being like, "Can this be a story, please? Can we can we do a write up? Can we talk to you some more? Because this is just this is not right." And I mean, there's been stuff in the news. I read the news reports about what's happening, but it's very perfunctory. It's not. It doesn't seem to go anywhere. So maybe hearing literally from the three of you will move things along. And the minute we're done, I'm going to email my friends at the Canadian Broadcast Corporation, the people that I know there, and be like, this is a story. You should talk to them. Please get on the phone with them right away. <laughs> Somebody do, do a show about this. So my hope is that my little show, Disability After Dark, will shine some light on this. Um, 
and thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, bro. Oh, thank you. Speak. Giving it the platform. Anytime. I'm. I really. I'm. I'm so pleased we did it, but I'm not pleased that we had to do it. Like. I understand. It's. It's abysmal the situation you're in. It's not fair. So on that less than happy note, I want to thank all three of you for coming on Disability After Dark today, and we will talk very soon. Thank you so Thanks. much. Thanks. Bye. Alright, that was another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories, a part of the Wheels on the Ground network. I'm really, really happy you came to this one. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.drewgerza.com, and you can follow me on all my socials at, at DrewGerza. So Instagram and Twitter at DrewGerza. You can also follow the podcast at DisAftDarkPod on Twitter. Remember, if you want to be a part of the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us a little bit about why you want to be on the show, and we'd love to have you. The show is, again, no longer just a sex and disability podcast. We want to talk to you about everything. So drop us a line. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Remember, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or more to keep a bright light shining on these stories. I'm your host, Drew Gerza, your disabled daddy. Thank you so much for listening to this Wheels on the Ground production, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021